we have been looking over the past several weeks, um, since Thanksgiving, we've been looking forward to Christmas. And the first couple of weeks, what we did is we looked at the humiliation of Christ, the fact that he would even be born, he would leave heaven and become a human. Um, We looked at the fact that, as we will talk about later in the sermon, that um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, John 1, 1, uh, describing how Jesus, before he was even born as a human, existed as God. And so we saw what he had to leave and leaving heaven to come to earth. Now, he was still God here on earth, and he was still uh, worthy of glory and everything like that, but it was a descending, a condescension in a way of him becoming human. And, and then we looked at his, uh, his death. Of course, if we're thinking about the humiliation of Christ, we can't, we can't talk about what that must be like without looking at his death. And so we did. We looked at that. Um, but then we, last week, we began to look at the humanity of Christ and, and the hope that that brings us uh, for Christmas and, and for future, for restoration and for uh, what is to come. And last week, we looked specifically at Christ's humanity and how he um, endured temptation and never sinned. And I used the example of how if I set some cookies out here, and look at this, I'm doing it at the beginning of the sermon instead of the end. But um, if, if I set some cookies out here and I made you wait for those cookies and, and I left the room and I said, now nobody get these cookies, uh, but there's only a few of them, there's not enough for everybody, and... I walk out of the room, we, we wondered who would endure the longest. And some of you just admitted wholeheartedly that you would not endure long at all, as we talked about this last Sunday night. Uh, so as soon as I pass through the threshold of the door, some of you would be grabbing a cookie. But uh, that's another story. But anyway, my point was in sharing that illustration is that the one who endured the longest understood the best about the most about temptation because they had endured it the longest. They, have, they had experienced levels of it that the rest hadn't. And so when we look at Jesus, we might think that, oh, he's perfect. He doesn't understand what it's like to sin. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we have a great high priest who has endured temptation, who can sympathize with our weaknesses, and that he, he, he can sympathize with temptation and our weaknesses, yet he never even gave in. So he knows temptation better than any of us because he endured it the longest without giving in. He lived his entire life without giving in to temptation, without sinning. And so that's an incredible thing that we can turn to Jesus uh, as our great high priest, as someone who understands what we have been through and what we're going through. You you, um, are tempted to sin while Jesus has been tempted and beyond. You have been tempted to give up. Well, Jesus has been tempted, and, and he, he, he didn't. Whatever your temptation is, we have a great high priest who can sympathize with all of it. And so that's where we've been. And today, what I want us to do is I want us to look at the humanity of Christ, how he's our perfect example. Um, this is the second part of this. And primarily today, we will be in Colossians 1, 15 through 23. But what I'm going to do is I'm going, in, in reviewing where we have been recently, I'm going to give us some points and remind us of some scriptures. And in the middle of these points, I have five points, 
but I also have five questions. And so as I'm going through these points, I will ask some questions. Now, each point doesn't have its own questions. These are just some questions that come naturally from the flow of the points and of the Scripture. And so with that said, uh, I want to draw your attention to point number one, which is God created man in his image. Now, when we're looking at Jesus' example, part of looking at his example is us knowing the example that he was setting for us. And what we as humans are capable of, of course, we're capable of great destruction and evil, but we're also capable of great good, especially with the help of God, (laughs) specifically with the help of God. Um, and, And so one of the things that we need to realize is that we all, as humans, were created in the image of God. Now, if you look at Genesis 1.26, and we won't go there for all these verses, but if you want to take notes and look at these later, you can, and or you can flip along while I'm talking. Um, but Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image. And we have talked about how we were created in the image of God. And who is us? Well, that would be the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the, the Trinity, God. And so we are created in the image of God. And so what does that mean? Is that a physical thing? Well, God is spirit, right? He's, he's not a physical being. Now, he put on flesh as Jesus, as in the person of Jesus. Uh, but we believe that being created in the image of God speaks to something more than just our physical makeup. That it's something about, and different people have different opinions, but most agree that being created in the image of God has something to do with our intellectual ability to even understand a little bit about God. It has something to do with our spirit, our soul, that we have the ability to know God spiritually, and so we are created in his image. We are created with the capacity to do good. Now, imagine Adam and Eve in the garden, created by God, for God, to honor him, to glorify him, but to enjoy the fruits of the earth, to enjoy living in in that relationship and in that Uh, paradise, and imagine that that's the way it's supposed to be. However, point number two is that sin, of course, you know, in Genesis 3, 6, Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. They chose to um, give in to the temptation that the serpent presented them, and so point number two is sin led to total depravity. Now, total depravity is the phrase that goes back a long time in Christianity, and what it simply means is is that sin has affected every single aspect and part of our lives, of humanity, of the earth, of the world. Sin has affected it. Now, that I want to be clear here that I'm not saying that every 100% of us is just evil if we don't know Jesus. I've seen lost people, as I'm sure you have, people who did not know Jesus or me before I came to know Jesus, loved people in a productive way, right? They've been good citizens in the community. I believe that through God's common grace, that just his pure love to even create us in the first place and to create us in his image, he has given us the ability to do some good, and it's not apart from him. 
It's by his grace, whether we recognize it or not. It's definitely not apart from him. Um, But it's not necessarily in relationship with him either. However, can we earn our way to salvation apart from him? No. Sin has tainted that. Um, we, we know that Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned, right? We know that Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. We know these things. We know that God has told us that, we have been, that sin has separated us from him. It has affected us. It has affected our world. I don't have to explain to you how sin has destroyed so much. We can look around and we don't have to look far. We can look at our own actions and the destruction that we have brought ourselves in the lives, in our life, in the lives of the people around us. The very people that we love the most, sometimes our sins have caused them the most pain. And so sin led to total depravity. So that brings us to question number one. What does it say about sin that it has tainted us so much? And hopefully I've already answered a little bit of that. And these questions really are for you to contemplate even beyond this sermon. These are questions that I'm giving you as points to remember and to ask yourself, especially the ones as we get later in the sermon, um, in future days. These are to be asked now, but continue asking these. And if anybody wants a copy of my notes, I'd be happy to email those to you or print you off a copy or whatever the case might be. So I think that some of the, what it says about sin is uh, it's destructive. It has spread its cancer, its vines everywhere. The only one left unaffected is God and his angels. And it is desperately wicked. If we, if we were to look at the pain that we've experienced in our life, the root of it is sin. It might be our sin. It might be someone else's sin. It might be sin that we have never even, we never even saw the origin of it. But sin, it just reaches far and wide. And so point number three, and and I'm going through these quickly to get to our main passage, but point number three is the image remains but is tainted. So I want to make this clear. I do believe that that today someone who is born long after Adam and Eve, when they're born, they're born with the same image of God in them that God put in Adam and Eve when he created them. We are still created in the image of God. However, that image, we don't get to see it in its uh, full force because it's been tainted by sin. And so even that, the aspect of the good thing about us that, that God has given us, even it has been tainted by sin. So the image remains, but it's tainted. There's this, um, there's lots of evidence of this in scripture that it wasn't just Adam and Eve who received the image. Uh, in after the flood, Noah is 
and his family, they're getting some instruction from God. And one of the things that God says is, is that if anyone harms another one, that they're in trouble because th- these people are created in the image of God. And so we see that in Genesis 9, 6. And then we see in Revelation 4, 11, at the end of time, when, we're, when John is in the throne room seeing future events, that it pleased him. It's for his pleasure that he created us. That's the word that the King James Version uses is pleasure. And so we, it, we are created for God's will and pleasure. The image still remains, but it's tainted. And so what does all this have to do with Christmas? We're getting there. But point number four is Jesus reveals the potential of humanity and the fullness of God. This is Christmas. Is that Jesus was born as a man. God became a man. The incarnation occurred. And in looking at this, in looking at what Jesus did, we can gain a lot of hope. Not only in salvation, which we will get to toward the end of this sermon, but we can gain hope because we have seen evidence of what someone who lives for God looks like. We have seen the image untainted. It had not been seen since humanity became totally depraved, since Adam and Eve sinned, no one knew what humanity unaffected by sin looked like until Jesus. And Jesus gave us the example of what a human could look like unaffected by sin. Now, he was also God, so there were definitely some things that Jesus could do that a normal human could not do. But think of his goodness. Think of his love. Think of who he was. We have the capacity in Christ, in a relationship with him, we have the capacity to be like him. He gives us the ability to mimic him, to look like him, to look to his example and to follow it. And so point number four is a beautiful thing. Jesus reveals the potential of humanity. Remember last week's sermon in Hebrews chapter 4 that he, he was a perfect human. He never sinned. He never messed up. He never did wrong. But also remember a few weeks ago when we looked at John chapter 1, and he was more than just a human. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then the Word became flesh. So the eternal God put on flesh. It says something about humanity that God was able to become one of us. This is what I was referring to last week when I was saying that I feel like I've learned something recently that has radically impacted some things about the way I view the world is, uh, if y'all know me, I mean, I try to be optimistic, right? Because there's some biblical things that Uh, you just have to be optimistic about. And it's biblically, if we're going to be like Jesus, then there are times when we have to be optimistic, uh, even though, uh, according to John chapter 2, no one needed to tell Jesus what was in the heart of man. He knew what was in the heart of man, right? And that wasn't referring to goodness. 
That was referring to deceit. And so my default is I'm pessimistic, I'm skeptical, I look at everybody with the, I can't, like, I might have a smile on my face, but inside I might be like this every once in a while. How many of you live life that way? You're a little bit pessimistic and skeptical. Uh, yeah, there's more of you than that. Anyway, um, and so I think that part of the reason that I live life like, live life like that is because no one needs to tell me about total depravity. No one needs to tell me about how much sin has affected. I've seen it. I've lived it. I've experienced it, as all of us in this room have. And I have been majoring on the total depravity and minoring on the image of God. And the thing that made me realize that was just I read a line in a book that was talking about what it says about humanity that Jesus could and would become one of us. Now, it says a whole lot more about God, and we'll get to that in a moment. But what does it say about us that God could become one of us? We must have been created in his image in a much more powerful way than I have been believing and living. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1. We're going to see here, yes, his humanity, but also the fullness of God. Not, he wasn't just fully human, he was fully God, and he wasn't just great at being human, he's great at being God. So Colossians 1 verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. Now, when that says the firstborn of all creation, it's not saying that he was actually, um, he had a beginning. It's not saying that. The firstborn is the one who inherits everything. That's what it's saying. And we will see this later in this passage, but we have also seen this clearly spelled out in previous sermons in, in the passages that we looked at. So verse 16, for by him all things were created. So he couldn't be created if by him all things were created. But verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so when we look at this passage, he is the image, verse 15, of the invisible God. He has revealed what God looks like. And what form did he take in order to reveal that? Humanity. Human form. He became one of us. This is what Christmas is. He was born as a human. And the reason he did that, as we know, and we'll, we'll look at in its entirety and its fullness a little later, but the reason he did that is because who sinned against God? 
man. So who owed God a debt? Man. Who, and God's, God's loving, right? We're going to look at that in a moment. God is full of love. But he's also full of justice and righteousness. And so he has to judge sin, wickedness, evil. He has to. Because that's what a good judge and a good God does. And the one who has to pay for the sin is the one who committed it. Man committed the sin. Man has to pay for the sin. So how can God pay for the sin? He becomes man. He's born he puts on flesh, the word became flesh, remember John 1, 14, and he does that in order to die and to pay for our sins, the sins that man committed, a man, the best man, the perfect man, the man who was also, happened, he happened to be God, he's the one who died for our sins. So he comes, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. So he creates everything. I'm skipping to verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So not only did he die for us, but he overcame death. Death could not hold him because, yes, he was man, and, yes, he paid for sin by dying on a cross, but he was also God, and he wasn't staying dead. It wasn't going to happen because he's God. So he stayed in the grave, and on the third day, he rose again to give us victory over death. And we get to see the fullness of what the image of God can do. And I'm not saying that man can ever become God because we cannot. But it is quite special that God could become man, and he did. And that says a lot about God, and it says a lot about us. Verse, question two. What does it say about humanity that God was able and willing to become one of us? He must have loved us, right, in order to go through that. There's something incredibly special about being created in the image of God. Sometimes we don't think much of ourselves. And sometimes maybe we give ourselves reasons for that, right? We, our sin has tainted the image that's there. Our sin has corrupted. Our sin has caused pain. Our sin has caused hurt and division. Our sin has caused grief and ways that maybe we will never fully understand. But even with that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what does it say, even if it's just about the way that God views us, what does it say about humanity that he would be willing to become one of us and die for us in order to save us and restore that relationship with us. So that's question number two. Question number three, 
what does it say about Jesus that he was willing to become a man and do that? So what does it say about humanity that he was willing to do that? But also, what does it say about him? What it says about him is he is worthy of our praise. What it says about him is that he is better than me. He was willing to do something that I'm not willing to do, right? You know, the Bible says that some of us wouldn't even die for a good man. And yet Jesus came while we were still sinners and died for us. And so, what it says about Jesus is that he is truly the best man who has ever lived, and he is truly God. And then question number four, what does it say about the father that he was willing to send his son, which I didn't put verses with the other questions because they were related directly to the scripture that we were looking at. But we can't ask this question and not think about John 3.16. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What kind of a God creates man knowing that they'll sin And then to cover their sin and their mistakes, their error, their wickedness, he sends his son to become one of them, to pay for the sins of those who came before him and those who would come after him. What kind of love must God have? That's a God I want to serve. One who loves me so much that he's willing to sacrifice himself for me, that he's willing to sacrifice his son for me. And then that brings us to point number five, which is the death of Jesus can reconcile us to God. And let's look at Colossians 1, 21 through 23. I'll reread that point just in case you didn't have time to write it down. The death of Jesus can reconcile us to God. Verse 21. And you who were once who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So when Paul is is talking to the Colossians here, chapter 1, we read verses 15 through 20 a second ago, and 21 through 23, he tells us that we, us, the ones who have done all this evil, that God can present us as blameless, because what he did on the cross can reconcile us to God. We owe God a debt because of our sin. Jesus paid that debt. If we accept that payment, if we choose to follow him, we no longer owe a debt. And we can be in right relationship with God. That's reconciliation. That's how Jesus can reconcile us to God through his death. And he can present us, according to verse 22, 
He can present us holy and blameless and above reproach. So think of, for a moment, I know this is painful, but think of all the sins that you have committed in your life. Think about the most heinous things, the things that you have done that have caused others the most pain. Think about all the times you have failed as a child, you know, to your parents or as a spouse if you are married or have been married or all the times as, as, as a parent you have failed or as a grandparent. Think about all the times as an employee, as a student, as whatever, all the roles in your life. Think about all the times when you failed to do what was honorable, what was right. Think about all the times that you caused others pain. Think about all the grief that you have caused God because every single sin, whether small or, in your opinion, great, was against God. Think about all that sin. Think about all that filth and that wickedness that covers us, that taints the image in which we were created. And now think about Jesus because he can forgive it all. He can cover it all. He can present us in the image of God. He can present us as we were intended to be presented. He can present us holy, blameless, and above reproach. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be presented as I should be presented. I want to rely on the mercy of God. And I want to be presented holy and blameless and above reproach. And that's what Christmas can do for us. That's what Jesus becoming a man, being born Christmas, and dying on a cross and rising from the dead, Good Friday and Easter, that's what Jesus can do for us. That's what Christmas can do for us. So let's look at the humanity of Christ. Let's look at who he was, and let's let that challenge us to become who we need to be, who he has called us to be. We don't have to to wait to be in right relationship with God. We can be in right relationship right now through the power of Christ, through his forgiveness and through his salvation. And that's what I want. That's what I long for. And so that brings us to question number five, which comes directly from verses 21 through 23. Will you put your faith in him today? Or if you already have faith, Will you continue strong in that faith? And let me be clear here. I don't believe that someone who is saved can lose that salvation. But I believe that someone can think they're saved and then stop following Jesus because they were never saved in the first place. And so if we're saved, we will continue in our faith. I'm not saying that there won't be moments or seasons where our faith is weak and the flame is sputtering and barely alive, but God will keep that faith alive in us because according to first peter chapter one our salvation is kept for us in heaven by god it's not ours to hold it's not ours to keep but that's if we have salvation and so for those of you who don't have salvation when you're presented before god you will be presented with all of your failures, all of your atrocities, all of your weaknesses, all of your sins. Not that you're a worse sinner than I am, but someone has paid for my sins, as he has many of us in this room. And that person was Jesus. And so when I'm presented before God, it's not about who I am. 
It's about who he is. I'm not coming to him in my righteousness. I'm coming to him in the righteousness of Christ. And he has presented me blameless, above reproach, holy. And so do you have a relationship with God? If you don't, will you put your faith in him today? And if you have faith, will you use this opportunity at Christmas Put your attention and your focus where it should be right now, which is on Jesus. And as you're spending time with family, let Jesus make it the best time that you've ever spent with family. You love your family like you've never loved them before. As you're opening gifts for those of us who are blessed enough to be able to do that, then open them with thankfulness that God has provided. And if it's not what you want, it's okay. We're blessed. And as you give gifts, remember the gift that Christ gave us. And during this holiday season, with all of its troubles, with all of its joys, remember that Christ loves you. Jesus loves you. God loves you. And he has created you in his image. And you have value. And you have worth. How much worth do you have? You were so much that God was willing to give up his son for you. You were so much that Jesus was willing to put on flesh for you. That's love. That's what you're worth. Why wouldn't we want to follow a God like that? Why wouldn't we want to give our lives to him? So trust him this morning, whether it's for the first time or continuing in your trust. I'm going to pray for us. And after the prayer, we're going to have a time of invitation. And I'll be right down here. And if you want to come talk to me, come talk to me. If you want to come to the altar and pray, do that. If you want to sit where you are or get on your knees where you are and pray to God, you do that. But I believe that if God has spoken to your heart this morning, that he can speak to you in a way right now that whatever he's been impressing on you, it doesn't have to be just a temporary impression. It can be something permanent. It can be something that God changes that is different from here on out. So you listen to the voice of God right now. It won't be an audible voice. It will just be an impression that he is putting inside of you that you need to follow him for the first time or you need to continue in that. You respond to God in whatever way he is leading. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And God, we are so thankful that you created us in your image. We are so thankful that even though sin tainted that image, that that image is not gone. And we are so thankful that you sent your son to die for us, to restore us, and to help us to have a right relationship with you. And God, I pray that everyone in this room would have that this morning, that we would all call on you if we don't know you. And for those of us who do know you, help us to follow you better than we ever have. Help us to be ready to sacrifice everything for you like you have already sacrificed everything for us. God, help us to be like you. Help us to look to your example as Jesus, as a human, as God. Help us to look to your example and to live our lives in a way that you lived yours and in a way that honors you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.